Are you one of the only on your job? Do you wonder why the same type of people continue getting promotions? Have you dreamed of getting to the top but don't know how? Welcome to Secrets, a podcast devoted to showcasing dilemmas faced by underrepresented employees in their quest to climb the career ladder. Your hosts, Keith Powell and Ricky Robinson, have experienced the corporate grind for more than 20 years. Now they want to share adventures, pitfalls, and C-suite secrets that they've learned along the way. So let's fill up those cups and get started. Hey, Ricky, what's up? What's on your mind today, brother? Man, I'm kind of feeling like Chuck D today, man. Remember when he was saying, uh, I got so much trouble on oh, my, my mind. mind. Refuse to lose. Welcome to the Terror Dome, man. That's how, kind of how I'm feeling today, man. After the water cooler episode and us talking about people kind of trapping you with some of those discussions and conversations. Mm-hmm. Then we have the death of RBG. Man, that was major on so many different levels. Rest in peace. And then these debates, we got flies landing on my man's head and stuff, man. <laughs> you know, they're attracted to that stuff. You know what I mean? And then we we got the number 45 out here acting like COVID is damn near a joke. It's you crazy. Know, crazy. Out there running around like it's not impacting people. And we both have family members and friends who have been impacted in the worst way, you know, in this, right? But it has me thinking about, like, the big elephant in the room, man, and that's, like, the upcoming elections upon us, okay? And I feel like we need to have some real conversations. When I say real, I mean, like... Like capital? Real conversations, how we have when the mic is not on. Some real conversations, you know, I think that's where we need to be right now about the election and the ramifications on underrepresented employees that, if you don't vote, can impact us for decades to come. Absolutely. Ricky, you ain't said nothing but a word, brother. So (laughs) we have a hot fire guest for you all today. Joining us today, it's the honor to have a trailblazer in social justice and politics with us, Congressman Barbara Lee. Yeah, man. Congresswoman Barbara Lee, she is going to spit that fire today. Yes. And in this episode, we'll discuss some of the racism and discrimination that Barbara Lee faced in her life. We'll uh, also speak about the systemic racism and discrimination that devalues the voice of underrepresented people. And then you'll hear from Barbara Lee through legislation how you can move the needle and be part of the change by voting and being active in your community. This is going to be great. Man, so let's just, with no further delay, man, let's just get started. Let's get into it. I am the uh, VP of Human Resources for Medtronic. So I think you may have heard of Medtronic a little bit when the, when the COVID crisis first hit. My company was helping out with the ventilators, right, you know, okay. helping create the ventilators and working with Tesla on that. Keith and I... One of my closest friends, we've known each other for years. We started working together at a very small, well, small in comparison, right, to what we do now. He's a finance, like our finance guru. He was the CFO for an organization, and I was the vice president of HR. So first off, we want to congratulate you on, because I think you're still a newlywed. I mean, it still counts. It's not even a year <laughs> yet. You know what I mean? So, so we want to congratulate you on that. That was a nice New Year's Eve surprise for you. So I know we're absolutely happy for you. Thank you. 
Welcome. Welcome. We know that you've been involved. You started in politics early in your life. I was reading that you were the the president of the Black Student Union at Mills College, got involved with Shirley Chisholm's campaign in 1972, worked for Ron Dellums, started as an intern and worked your way up to chief of staff, which is amazing because there's very few women and people of color in those positions. Been a California legislator and obviously the congresswoman for the town for some time. And I'm sure along the way, you've faced plenty of just personal challenges being a Black woman, trying to break through. Could you talk a little bit about a few of those challenges that you face? Because just like corporate America, I'm sure in the political world, there's lots of challenges being a person of color and female. Sure, Keith. Let me tell you how happy I am to be with you today. And uh, I just want to start with the first challenge, okay, Uh, and go back a little bit. My mother was one of the first 12 students to integrate the University of Texas at El Paso. I was born and raised in El Paso, Texas. When my mother went to the hospital to deliver me, she needed a cesarean section. They would not let her in the hospital because she was black. She almost died. When they finally got in, my grandmother, the long story about how she finally got in, they left her, and as she describes, on a gurney. And I wrote a book, Renegade for Peace and Justice. So it's all laid out there, but they finally let her in did not tend to her. Someone saw her. She was unconscious by then. They drug her in and couldn't do a C-section. They did not know what to do. So they finally, in the emergency room, delivered me using forceps. So I almost didn't get here. My mother almost died in childbirth. I almost could not breathe. And so here I am. So that's the beginning of my fight for social justice and racial justice, because my mother damn near died and I almost didn't get here because of racism. So that's where it started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't make this wow. up. You, you can't, can't make, make it up. up. Wow. That's where it started. No. And then after we left El Paso, this is another milestone. It actually was not the Shirley Chisholm campaign, which was the first major public effort and electoral effort into my world of politics. But when I was 15, I wanted to be a cheerleader. I was raised again after we left El Paso in San Fernando in Pacoima. I attended San Fernando High School. To be a cheerleader, you had to go before a small committee. The small committee would only elect girls who were blonde and blue-eyed. I wanted to be a cheerleader, and I didn't look like that. I went to the NAACP at 15. I was working then, work-study. I'll never forget John Mance and Carl McCraven in the Valley. They both passed away, but they were phenomenal Black men who really told me, look, we're going to help. They helped me. They went up to the school and they said, you've got to change these rules because they're discriminatory. Black girls can't even try out. We changed the rules at San Fernando High School and required them to elect cheerleaders so the student body could participate and elect. Guess what? I tried out. And I won. And I was the first black cheerleader at San Fernando. So that was there my first election. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you ain't been playing. You know, you were serious about hey, this from day one. I don't play when it comes to justice and equality. I don't play. So as the former chair, and I'm just... I'm bragging on you because every like as I've been reading and then and I know we know a lot of the same people, I'm just checking stuff off. Right. But this gives us an opportunity to introduce some of our listeners to a giant, you know, a giant. So as the former chair of the Congressional Black Caucus and the current whip and former co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, and not to mention 
the vice chair and founding member of the LGBT Equality Caucus, you are more than qualified to speak on some of the issues going on today. So from your perspective, and a bit of a two-part you know, question here. So from your perspective, what do you see as challenges faced by Black, Brown, LGBTQ+, and women in the workplace, number one, and then what can be done legislatively to prevent setbacks and move the needle forward for underrepresented employees? Like, we're talking about equal pay, healthcare, uh, childcare, parental leave, like all of those types of things. So if you don't mind, maybe, I mean, you're qualified, so we want to make sure that people understand what you say means a lot right now. Okay, the biggest threat to our economic security and health security is Donald Trump. And the best thing we can do is vote on November 3rd. And I say that unequivocally, okay? I have served in Congress through several presidents and who I have disagreed with, including George Bush. This president is unhinged. He is a threat to our national and domestic security. And so you have got to vote November 3rd now. Okay, so all else comes from there. <laughs> we got it. We got, got it. Okay. Start there. Okay. That's right. Because wage equity in terms of gender equality, in terms of equality for our LGBTQI community, in terms of the issues around systemic racism, criminal justice reform, our issues as it relates to lifting people out of poverty, our issues as it relates to equity and inclusion in the private sector. When you look at what this 45th is doing in the White House, just canceling all unconscious bias training. I mean, it's a white supremacist agenda. So every issue you raise all emanates from getting a president and a vice president, a House and a Senate who understand that this country has got to move forward and not go backwards. Well said. Well, well said. said. And and every one of those things that you just mentioned, they impact the workplace at the end of the day, too. And that's why we want to get that message out that it is important to vote. So appreciate you bringing that home for us. Yeah. Let me just say it in terms of impacting the workplace policies that don't allow for racial equity and inclusion and making sure corporate America provides for a path to promotions. I co-chair Tech 2020 for the Congressional Black Caucus. The culture in the tech sector is such that African-Americans oftentimes leave because the culture is so dismal. And so it directly relates to federal policies to hold these companies accountable to make sure that people are treated fairly, equally, and that the pay gap is closed because we know African-Americans make a lot less than what white folks do in these jobs. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and we're going we're gonna to touch on that in just a minute. So perfect timing, perfect timing. It is. As an equality warrior, building on that, even today, after the affirmation of marriage equality, and we just saw just a couple days ago that that's under assault again, potentially, in the Supreme Court. But there's still 27 states without explicit laws protecting people based on sexual orientation when it comes to employment and housing and public accommodation, and I know you've been an advocate for LGBTQ plus equality for a long, long time, even before it was in vogue. So can you talk about some of the legislative remedies that are out there or that you're advocating for to make the workplace inclusive for that community? Well, first, each state is, has to pass their own bills to make sure that the states have laws on the books 
that will allow for equality with the LGBTQI plus community. Here in California, you mentioned my long history. I was, oh God, this goes back to 1990 when I supported, it was Terry Friedman's AB, I think it was 100, that would just allow for non-discrimination as it relates to gender uh, identity and sexual orientation. And the right wing, the <laughs> Christian majority, they call themselves, took me on with a vengeance, threatened me and the whole nine yards. But you know what, as a black person, I know what discrimination is. And so I never back down as it relates to discrimination against any group. And so, yes, we've got to fight for LGBTQ rights. And in the legislature, I do co-chair, I was vice chair when Barney Frank was there. He asked me to be vice chair of the Equality Caucus because we had to pass many bills, which we did. We passed marriage, the Equality Act, which would finally make it a civil rights issue to discriminate against our LGBTQI plus community. We passed that bill on the floor. God bless John Lewis because he joined us in that fight early on and got the Black Caucus and all of our caucuses to put forth the uh, bill. And there it is in the Senate now, right? Dead, <laughs> thanks to Mitch McConnell. In the House, also what I do as an appropriator, and I'm on the Labor, Health and Human Services Subcommittee, which helps write the appropriations bills for the Department of Education. One of the areas that I've had to work on is to fight back Betty DeVos because she's trying to eliminate all of the protections for our LGBTQI kids in public schools. And she's trying to just make sure that they don't have the protections that they deserve. So that's happening at the federal level is just trying to keep the Department of Education and HUD and all of the federal agencies from moving forward and rolling back the progress that we've made. Finally, it's just so important that we recognize that the Supreme Court nomination, we should call for no nomination until inauguration because with only a few days left for this election, not to have the voice of the people heard as a result of the presidential elections who the president then nominates the Supreme Court justice is outrageous. And if they get their way now, they will definitely take away health care. You know, there's a Affordable Health Care Act pending before the Supreme Court in November. They will roll back every human rights case that's in there. They will decide to discriminate instead of equal for equal opportunity. And so a lot is at stake with this election. And so we're working in the House uh, to make sure that all the protections of hate crimes, we pass legislation that would condemn and make it a penalty to promote hate crimes with the LGBTQI plus community. And so we've done a lot in the House. But again, I have to go back to November 3rd. Everything's going to be rolled back if Mitch McConnell stays there and if we don't win this election, the Biden-Harris team. So there's a direct relationship between the progress we've made. We have a long way to go, but <laughs> the progress we've made will be all for naught if, in fact, these people keep running the show. Sister, you are dropping some knowledge, okay? And we appreciate this. We feel like we're over here cheating. We're getting information. You can't just get this from anywhere, right? So we appreciate like your efforts. We appreciate your energy. But I have another question for you and just something for you to kind of comment on, right? The latest job reports from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics show unemployment at 7.9% and 12.6 million people unemployed. Unemployment rates for Black and Hispanic employers are at rates well above the national average at 12.1% and 10.3% respectively. 
Like, this is crazy and unacceptable. How do you propose we level the playing field for our black and brown brothers and sisters? The unemployment rate for the African-American community has always been twice, if not more, than for white people. And that that's a given. And so we have to, first of all, listen, short-term, long-term. In the short-term, we have to make sure that those who've been impacted by COVID-19 have the resources to survive during this period. And so that means we have to make sure that those who were working get the benefits of what we're trying to do in this HEROES Act, the $1,200 cash assistance, the extension of unemployment, $600. I'm one for a wage guarantee of at least $2,000 a month. And we have legislation pending for that, at least. And that's not even in many communities, not enough, but we've got to do something just to stop the bleeding right now. And in terms of uh, long-term, we have to have policies that recognize that in hiring, you have to use a racial lens. And so you cannot say that we're a race neutral society. We have to say, and, and use the Rooney rule in many respects, these companies have to begin to use better, stronger, more effective measures to hire Black people and not have excuses not to hire us. That's one thing. And then long-term, we have to pass reparations, okay, because we have to repair the damage. Now, H.R. 40 is a bill I support, and not only, and we passed it, and Governor Newsom signed it into law in California, y'all. So we're going to have a commission and the development of what reparations means for African-Americans who, because of this unemployment rate always being doubled what it is for uh, the white community, we need to repair this damage because generational wealth, the inability to purchase a home because of the subprime crisis, all of what has happened has prevented us from transferring wealth down to our children. And so we have to do reparations and my bill calling for a truth, racial healing and transformation commission to crack these chains of systemic racism dating back 41 years. So that's the big picture. But we have got to make sure that public entities and private sector companies are held accountable. Those that get government contracts still have uh, executive orders that they have to comply with. And, And so I don't think there's been a big push for Black people to be employed when, in fact, the political dynamics in this country, racism is still very part of the DNA in many sectors in our country. So, Keith, I, I just want to say to our listeners real quick, I told y'all she was the truth. I told y'all she, was <laughs> she is. She is. And this will be our uh, last question before we wrap up. And it, it really has to do with kind of why voting matters and voter suppression. And I know you recall at the uh, Democratic National Convention, Michelle Obama in her speech, she talked about how in Michigan in 2016, where just two votes per precinct. If we had two more people per precinct to show up and vote, it would have made a difference in the election in Michigan. So when people say their vote doesn't matter, Ricky and I, we say that's that's BS. Our voices do matter. And there's so much going on out there, as we know, around trying to suppress people's votes and suppress and maintain that privilege and power in the structures that we have right now. So can you tell our listeners the work that you've been doing on voter suppression and why their vote matters more than ever? Sure. And let me just comment on what Michelle said in terms of two votes per precinct. Guess which precincts they were. They were where Black people lived. 
that I always remind folks, in many ways, you can look at this and analyze it. And because Wisconsin, you look at those precincts also, and you look at the fact that we would have won had African-Americans voted. And so sometimes you have to think, did Black people really elect Donald Trump by not voting? Okay? You know, look at where those votes came from. So Black voices matter. (laughs) They matter. This last election explains it all if you dissect and analyze where those votes came from or did not come from. And so a couple of things. First of all, the Supreme Court's disastrous decision on Shelby versus Holder has allowed for the suppression of voting rights because we can't identify the areas now and predetermine where we have to have the preclearance. And so we've introduced H.R. 4, which was the is the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which, of course, allows and ensures that everyone has access to the ballot. And so we have to make sure that we passed it in the House. It's sitting there on Mitch McConnell's desk in the Senate. Again, going back to the elections, we got to get a Senate with Schumer so that we can get this Voting Rights Act passed. Also, now, between now and the election, we have to do several things. First of all, if you can vote at home and vote by mail, do that. Ask for your absentee ballot now. Vote early. We have to have a decisive victory on November 3rd. So here in California, we're asking people to get there and we're helping. I mean, your members of Congress should be helping you on all these fronts. Get your ballot, get it in, and you can check to see if it's been received. Every state has websites to go on. Secondly, we have to make sure that those who want to go to the polling places know where they are and that they have the resources for proper health protocols, which we have been trying to do with the HEROES Act. But states now have some money to do this. So make sure that your polling places for those who are gonna vote, not vote at home, that they're secured. Uh, Thirdly, we have to have poll watchers and volunteers because believe you me, Russian interference is real. Foreign influence and interference is real in this election. We have to make sure that any uh, kind of messages on social media that are trying to divide the black community and trying to create chaos that we report them. You can, in my district, call me and your members of Congress, just call them and call these tech companies and tell them in no uncertain terms, we know you're allowing these Russian folks and organizations to get online and try to disrupt the election. Also, you have to make sure that they don't dismantle post boxes in my district. They used our protests as a way to take away, they try to take away like 13 or 14 post boxes. And so <laughs> I, I caught them though. And they, within two days, they returned them all. Trying to be slick. They was trying to be yeah, slick. That's right. <laughs> but we have to be woke, right? <laughs> and we have to be very vigilant and we have to report any kind of uh, voter suppression efforts. We're going to have a battery of lawyers everywhere throughout the country. And POI, so anyone who wants to help, I'm sure your voter registrar's office would welcome you volunteering and helping as precinct workers, as poll watchers. And finally, let me just say, it's important that you don't get frustrated. Don't say, oh, I can't do it because the lines are too long or ask for help. Your elected officials are there to help. And trust me, in my campaign, for example, whatever people need, they know to call me up. And we will figure out how to make sure that their vote is cast and counted. We only have a short window now. So long-term, help us pass HR 4. Short-term, stay in touch with your registrar of voters and volunteer and help and make sure that anything you see, that you raise your voices and don't let it go down because you have 
a real duty and responsibility to allow for democracy to work. I go abroad quite a bit to be an observer in elections. I've been to Nigeria, South Africa, all over the world, monitoring elections to make sure that they're fair and they're free. And here we are in our own country saying we need to monitor our own elections to make sure that they're fair and free. So we can't promote this free and fair election process anymore until we show that we really mean what we say. So let's show that at this election. (laughs) So Congresswoman Lee, I just have to say, I know that like encouraging people to vote and being part of the change that we seek has always been critical to like your mission. But before we refill our own cups and sit here and toast to your many accomplishments, do you have any parting words for our secret listeners today? Well, my parting words would be to listen to these young people with Black Lives Matter, with the movement of Black Lives and BLM, hear what they're saying, join them in these movements, wherever you're working, whatever you're doing, connect with the movement. If that means marching, if that means strategizing, if that means supporting them, do whatever it takes to support these young people because they are the future, they got it. Believe you me, their messaging and what they want elected officials and the private sector to do, they're saying, and I've been dealing with this, as you said, for many, many years, finally now there's an army out there who's saying enough is enough, let's do this. And so just please support these young people and help them out because they're gonna be the change that's needed because they're putting forth the policies and the programs and demanding this country transform itself with racial equity and justice as part of every system that we have in the United States. Man, I'm telling you, we are so appreciative. I'm going to listen to this episode a a few times. I was going to say, I'm at least five or 10 times. This is great. Thank you all. Thank you, Ricky. Uh, no, no problem. Thank you so much. Thank you, Congresswoman. We, we, we are just appreciative. We will support you and keep on trying to be that voice for change, advocating for you. So we are your vessel. So we appreciate Good. you. You all are doing a phenomenal job, too, connecting with people who really need that connection. And that's what it's about. We appreciate you. But thank you very appreciate much. Appreciate everything you okay. do. Take care. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Man, oh man, Barbara Lee brought that heat today. Wow. I mean, she brought receipts and secrets doing that uh, interview. The one thing that comes to mind for me, probably the most important thing is just remember to vote. I mean, if you did a mail-in ballot like I did, I mean, it's going to be important to check with your local election office or if you got to get on the app or whatever it takes to uh, make sure that your ballot was received. I think that's the most important thing is to make sure that your ballot was received. If you plan to vote in person, make sure you have a game plan. Like, do not be denied. The line may be long, but please don't use that as an excuse the weather may be bad, you know, if you got to put something on, on your head, if you got to put on an extra jacket. Get them boots. Just be ready, right? I mean, the most important thing, like we said, you got to hang in there and vote, right? This is where it counts. Like, if you don't vote, then you don't have any reason to be complaining. Absolutely. So please, please, please vote. And if you've learned nothing from today, your vote matters. And it, all it takes is one or two votes that can make a difference. And in the outcome of the election and it impacts your personal and your professional life. And so later today, 
we'll be dropping a blog on our website that will include additional secrets. Barbara dropped a ton of them today. Heat. But we are going to also have a special blog that will include additional secrets on how to engage politically in the workplace without wrecking your career and ruining your work relationship. So be sure to check that out on our website. Hey, so Keith, man, as always, I feel blessed to be able to have these discussions with you. I feel blessed to be able to have guests on our show and listeners who send us information as to who they want to speak about or topics that they want to hear about. So again, I appreciate you. I appreciate our listeners. Appreciate you too, Ricky. And be sure to check us out again on our website. We got that hot fire blog dropping today. And for more resources. And again, if you need coaching, if you want some hot merchandise, we got it for you. So be sure to check us out. All right. Well, hey, Keith, I need to go ahead and uh, fill up these cups, man, uh, because, again, I think we need to listen to this episode again. I'm just like to we said. again with a nice, strong cocktail. <laughs> but again, we appreciate your listeners. We also appreciate our special guest today, Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Thank you all for listening today. Hopefully you gained a secret or two that can be applied as your journey continues. If you are motivated and excited after listening to Keith and Ricky, please subscribe to our podcast, share with friends, and donate via Patreon. Check us out at www.secrets.com to get more information about our secret services. Until next time, cheers! Cheers!